Hey dreamers, I'm Joe Pardo and my guest today is making his dreams come true by helping people every single day. That is something that I absolutely love and can uh, get behind. Dreamers, I'd like to welcome to the show, Mark Miller. Hey, Joe. It's great to be on your show. It's great to have you, Mark. Thank you so much for being a guest uh, on the Dreamers podcast today. How are we feeling? Oh, this is, uh, well, it's the middle of June. I'm here in beautiful Austin, Texas. It's not too hot. And yeah, it's um, not the sun yet. <laughs> well, <clears throat> we'll w- when we hit July, we'll be hitting 100 degrees. So I'll, I'll wait for that. <laughs> I have yet to be at all, be in Austin. I've only been to Dallas Fort Worth uh, like two or th- three times, two times, three times, something like that. Well, we are the little blue dot in the middle of of a very red state. The city motto is "Keep Austin Weird." I I've heard that. I've met. I had dinner with some some Austiners in Disney World like two or three years ago. It was by chance. We just happened to be in like the beer garden, and and they happened to be from Austin, and they were telling us about how how wildly different Austin is from the rest of Texas. Well, the governor just uh, you know, just just was quoted as saying, "I leave Travis County, and it smells differently." It's the smell of freedom. <laughs> and it's like, well, we Lyft and Uber got kicked out because they didn't want to play by their rules. And the, the state was trying to get rid of our bag band. Um, we do things a little differently here. <laughs> so, Mark, why don't you get started by giving some background about yourself? Sure. Uh, I am a recovering engineer. Yes, there's a 12-step program for that. Uh, started my career in the seventies working for IBM. I spent 22 years there wandering around. I made about five career changes in those 22 years. I then left after they screwed me on my pension in 2000, went to work for a successful tech startup. And by age of 46, we were debt free. And then I had on July 11th of 2002, I had my moment of clarity. I came down a hill on a bicycle. Yes, a bicycle, not a motorbike, at about 25 miles an hour, turned into a blind turn, and there was a Toyota Corolla going the other direction about the same speed. I totaled a Toyota Corolla with my body and my bicycle. Spent five days in the trauma center. Uh, I broke a hip. I dislocated a shoulder. I tore up a knee. I broke a bunch of ribs, broke the clavicle. Um, had the imprints of the pads of the helmet in my head, but I had no internal injuries and no brain injuries I'm willing to admit to. Um, they had me walking on crutches in three days. I was back on a bike in 10 weeks, flying back to China in four months. Oh, by the way, I flew right smack into the middle of the SARS epidemic, the bird flu epidemic. And so it's, it was, I refer to as my WTF moment. Why am I doing this? Um, I then laid myself off the next year, went off and taught high school math in an inner city high school. I I had been teaching, I've taught adults for 20 plus years in 40 different countries. And there are a lot of funny stories of um, teaching in high school. I then did, uh, I couldn't do that and stay healthy. So I went off and did a one year stint to the Jewish community center, developing a corporate, uh, corporate development program. I commonly joke, being a non-Jew, being the face of a Jewish organization is interesting. They didn't make you convert? 
<laughs> no, they actually hired me because I wasn't Jewish. <clears throat> so it was a. But I grew up in New Jersey in an entirely Jewish community. I mean, we used to get Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur off at my high school. So I then, I then, I joke, I relapsed. I went into another tech startup, life size, uh, high definition video conferencing. Uh, we got bought out by Logitech. It got real ugly real fast. And I, that's when I formed Career Pivot, which is what I've been doing for the last five years, which, as I now say, I help people in the second half of life make career transitions. Oh, I, I love that because, you know, they, it's not always easy to find a career that's going to last as long as you do. Right. Um, I always go back to the milkman. And uh, <laughs> honestly, soon to be, I mean, heck, even even Uber drivers are on notice, right? Like, well, <sighs> it's it's rather interesting. As a baby boomer, I was raised to be an employee, to go work for a father like company that would take care of me. And after 30 or 40 years, I would ride off into the sunset and retire. But three quarters of the way through, they moved my cheese and. And, and, you know, I wasn't raised to say work was my passion. Work was meant to put pay the mortgage, put the kids through college, put food on the table. It was not supposed to be fun. <clears throat> of course, Gen X, the, the guys between 30 and 50, they were all raised with, well, half of them grew up in single parent households. And, <laughs> and so they, they, they said, well, when I'm successful, I'll be happy. Well, that didn't work. And then we raised all you kids, millennials, to say, follow your passion. The money will follow. Well, that didn't work either. Oh, I would disagree with that. <laughs> I would, if, if, but only for the ones that actually want to work and, like, actually put the work in for what they're passionate about. You know, it's not a cop-out, by for sure, <laughs> for the people that actually make make what they want into a reality. Like, it, But it takes a lot of work, right? It's not yes. like, oh, it's like... I'm going to be a YouTuber. Let, well, because I said I'm a YouTuber, here's my sack of money. Yeah. You know, well, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's the number of folks I've, I've found who have anthropology degrees and <laughs> right, uh, art history. In fact, I, my son works for, um, for Navy intelligence. His wife works for the Smithsonian. And we were up, up in the art gal, one of the art galleries in, in DC. And, and there's this young lady working there and she had an art history degree. I said, wow, I bet your parents are proud. You actually have a job that has to do with art history. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, most of the people I grew up with aren't doing what they went to school for. And so, so I'm curious. Do you feel that that is part of that um, school industrial complex? Like where it's like, hey, we need to make money as a school. So let's like pump in as many as we can. And like the privatization of schools like – uh, the University of Phoenix, uh, you know, Art it, Institute of whatever. Yep. Insert it's school a, here. It, it's a combination of problems. Um, it's number one. I, I'll I'll put it bluntly. A lot of boomers I have met. How did they get into their career? Either number one, they did what their parents told them to do, or two, it happened to be there at the time, and they just went off and did it. Today, the problem we have is there are things that you people want to go do, and then there are things that society is willing to pay for. And there has to, and the challenge is there has to be a balance. And 
the universities are saying, oh, you want to be an anthropologist? Sure. We'll, we'll let you shell out as much money as you want, and we will graduate. Uh, a classic example here in Texas, one of the largest professional groups that highest has the, has the highest unemployment rate is lawyers. Mm. Oversaturation. Oh, it's across the country. We have an oversaturation of lawyers because the law schools keep on pumping them out. And so, um, and do they want to slow down? The answer is no. And, and by the way, a lot of law is being automated. If you think you can, I, I've, I've written a couple of blog posts. If you think your job is immune to bots and automation, you're smoking something, and yes, you are inhaling. <laughs> Not everyone would get that, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I can appreciate it. Even even being a millennial, I can I, well, you know, on the should, back you, end sh- of it. You should get the the, the Bill Clinton. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I was young at the time, but yeah, no, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> so what I always tell people is, if you're interested in doing something that's not and, and and it's a great point about lawyer like going to school for law school for uh you know I mean it being oversaturated um there's uh, the the thing I, I always bring up is like look if you want to do something that's out there like well, let's say in the art field or anything that's that's like that like you need to do more than go to school for it right like by the time you get to school if you're going to go to school at all at that point like you already need to be like four, five, seven, eight, ten years into it, right? Like I'm not gonna wake up one morning at, at the age of seventeen and be like, "Well, I think I'm gonna be a professional baseball player when I grow up." <laughs> oh, well, I'm I'm going to college, so let's go to let's go get that that college uh, 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 money or what's it called? Uh, tuition? Not tuition. Uh, I can't even think of what it's called. The, the grand scholarship. Scholarship. That's the magic word. Scholarship <laughs> for baseball. Because I I decide I'm going to go be a professional. Like no, you need to like already have been doing that because you're competing against people like that. Same with like photography or you know digital digital arts or any of that stuff. It's it, I would say the only exception would be programming. Would be the exception. Programming language you you can learn, but again you have to actually put in the work to do it. But it's like you can't just wake up and be like, okay, I'm going to get my career in in photography. It's like great, like you're competing against when you get out of college. You're competing against people who have been doing it for like 20 years already, 21 years already since they could hold a camera. They've been doing photography. What are you going to do to get a job against that? Well, the reality is, you know, particularly for folks my age, and by the way, I'm 61, is when we decide we want to do something, it's you're not going to go back to college. You're not going to spend that kind of money because you'll it'll never pay for itself. It's going back and figuring out how can I leverage my existing expertise, my existing industry knowledge, and and how can I pivot into the next profession. Uh, that's why my podcast, which is Repurpose Your Career, and my book, which is Repurpose Your Career, um, is learning how to either pivot either your skill set or your industry knowledge and start working off into a new direction. Um, I, I said, I, I've made seven career changes. Actually, I'm on my seventh career, so I've made six career changes. I, and I've been joked the fact that I don't know how to hold a job. 
but it's 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 learning how to leverage what you currently know to move to that next step. I always claim that every one of my career changes has been a half step career change. And that is I had one foot in the old world. I had one foot in the new world. And there was always a relationship that took me across. In other words, I never did it alone. And for us guys, that's really hard because I'm a guy. I don't like asking for directions, much less asking for help. Um, it's learning the fact that you're going to have to make these changes, do it incrementally. And because most of us, when we reach this age, we have, as you're discovering, there are responsibilities. You know, you're responsible for your kid and a mortgage and all these things that you're responsible for. It's a lot. It's a lot of balls to juggle at once. I, I you know, I never. Uh, it's, it's funny. I think the, the, one of the best things I ever heard was how, um, it, you know, the, the new issues and new problems that you're presented with aren't necessarily going to be solved with the old ways that you were able to solve problems. And, uh, and I mean, I, I, you know, to me, entrepreneurs are, are, pro, you know, professional problem solvers. So for me, it's like, oh, I get that. And it's, doesn't make it a lot easier, but at least I understand going in what I'm going to, what I'm going to get out of it. Yeah. Well, the, the the reality is we are going through so many changes and they're happening so fast that, you know, we are seeing more industries and job categories destroyed. At the same time, we're having new industries and new job categories created. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at us right now. We're recording. You're recording on your, your PC using a very inexpensive piece of software. We're talking across Skype, which is free. And 10 years ago, none of this existed. Now, podcasts were in their, were in their infancy 10 years ago. But, you know, smartphone, iTunes, all of this is brand new. And by the way, is it going to stop changing? New. No. If anything, we're going to see even more acceleration of change. And in 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 it will and we will see again from a career perspective more destruction, more disruption, and you just have to learn to be nimble. I call it you don't want to be a turkey. Okay, the turkey analogy I got from Taylor Pearson, who he got it from somewhere else. He wrote the book End of Jobs, which is a turkey is born in a sterile environment. The butcher for three years takes very good care of the turkey. Every day for the turkey is better than the last until the fourth Thursday of November of that third year when suddenly it's not so good to be a turkey. <laughs> so you have to – I'm talking to a bunch of business analysts in August and I use this analogy with them because <clears throat> business analysts tend to be very project-oriented. Well, you know what? Projects come to an end. And you need to be looking for your next job before the project comes to an end. You know, I I have a a question. What um what, in your opinion, what is some of the best ways that at your not even at your age, but even younger than you um to get motivated to make that career pivot? Cuz aside from like I need money or I'm going to lose my house, like how how to go from that like I'm in panic mode to 
yeah, let's like let's proact let's be proactive about it and and do what I can do to make that jump. Well, <clears throat> number one is know thyself. What. <clears throat> One of the challenges we've we all have is typically when we go to work, we start taking on the role. We we're actors, and we take on a role and we play that role. And what happens is we at times lose lose ourselves into the role. We don't even know that we're playing a role. So, like we discussed before the call, I'm a closet introvert. I got paid more when I worked for IBM. I was a, a public speaker. I, I was a geek that could speak or an articulate techno weenie, which we all know is an oxymoron. And I learned to be an extremely good extrovert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I do not get energy from being around people. And what happens is as we get older, you, we have to we have to understand what makes us happy. Uh, what makes us fulfilled? Uh, what our true talents are? Because one of the real challenges is we get paid for our skills. Okay, skills that are not tied to your innate talents and you overuse them is when burnout occurs. So, and, and by the way, w many of us have those skills because our, why did we acquire those skills? Because our employers wanted us to, they paid us to do that stuff. And that's a challenge. And, and, and it's, and the older we get and the further we get from childhood, the less we understand what our true talents are. We forget that. And as you move on, as you move along and suddenly in my case, I most of my clients have finally gone, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. They don't know why, but they're not happy. And people around them are going, oh, but you're so good at it. Why would you want to stop? You make so much money. Why would you want to stop? <clears throat> like I said, the number of miserable lawyers I've known who hate the law practice, but they keep on doing it because it makes them lots of money. And at some point, you, you reach a point, and so it's rather than waiting until you're miserable, is kind of start, starting to change that. Um, there's a real good book out there called The Hundred Year Life. Uh, really recommend anybody pick it up. It talks about the the fact that in my generation before me, we had what was traditionally known as a three stage life: learning getting educated, working, and then retiring. Folks in, in folks who are those of my age and slightly younger get experience what they call a three and a half or four stage life, which is working, sorry, getting educated, working, and then going, ah, crap, I need to keep working. So you have a three and a half or four stage, and then finally you retire. By the way, Joe, you're not going to, you're going to live probably well over 100 <laughs> we'll see okay we'll see, we'll see. The, <laughs> the odds are you are going to have a very long so if you think you're going to retire at 65 again you're smoking something oh i i'm not retiring right the I, odds I are, no, no interest in retiring 
what's going to happen is going through these cycles of where you get educated, you work for a while, you stop, you take you take a break, you get re-educated in, 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 in 10 to 15-year cycles. Mm-hmm. And that will really change because in order to live to 100, you're going to have to work till you're 85 or 90. Because there ain't going to be enough money. And so that the whole concept of work will change. And that's, that's, that's really hard for folks my age because we were, we were raised to be employees. We were supposed to go work for somebody for 30 years. And by the way, that story didn't pan out. And we're still trying to learn that. And by the way, it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur particularly a tech entrepreneur. I've, I've been through two successful tech startups and it's the barriers of entry are so much lower. No, I, I agree. I mean, Hey, I, I got to the point where I had to leave my, uh, my career choice or, or decision that I, that I did make, which is, I, I mean, I don't know how much you know of my story, Mark. Uh, not a lot, not a lot. So I, I, I I've left read, I've my read, family's. Yeah, business oh, yeah. Uh, and to to do my own thing. Of course, I didn't know what I was going to do, but uh, but I figured you know figured it out. And three years later, here I am. <laughs> We're still doing it, right? We're still rocking and rolling. Didn't lose the house or anything like that. <laughs> Unlike what some people thought would happen, didn't happen. Um, yep. Didn't didn't let it happen. But uh, you know, with that said, I have no interest or 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 plans of retirement. And and. You know, even if I was retired, I'd still be working. I'd still be doing writing books or doing DJing or or something. So I have no interest in uh, sitting still anytime soon. Well, you have a one year old. You can't even be thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> by by the way, in about twelve to thirteen years, you're going to get really stupid. Oh, what? Because middle age? No, because you're. Kid will become a teenager. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and suddenly, the world around you looks at you and say, "God, you're stupid." Well, at least that's what your teenager will tell you. And then over <laughs> the next ten years, you'll gain your intelligence back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. So, I didn't even. <laughs> well, wasn't even Mark, getting there yet. <laughs> yeah, it's the Mark Twain quote. It's amazing how much my parents learned from the time I was fifteen to the time I was twenty-five. I I bet well because they must have forgotten everything that they knew that they knew when they were fifteen. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, (laughs) so so let's talk about some of the first steps you took when you decided to start Career Pivot. Well, it's interesting. I my bike accident was my real big moment of clarity. I was going okay. I'm 46. We were debt free. My son had just graduated from high school. And I'm going, and he's out of the house, so why am I doing this? Why? Because I'd always done it. And I call I call moments of clarity when these big things happen. Um, you know, good example, when your child was born, um, when parents die, when you have get laid off, when you get married, suddenly when things change. And I claim we look at life through filters. And during these times, the filters come down. And we see what's really important. And so at that point, um, I went off to to teach high school, which turned out I couldn't do that and stay healthy. I taught at inner city high school. 
and, and I was very successful, but I couldn't do it. I, sorry. Um, and one of the things I was doing, which is very typical of when folks in the second half of life suddenly say, what do I do next? The answer very often is you have to try stuff. This is no different than when you're 18 to 20, where you don't know what you don't know, and you just got to go try stuff. And, you know, I, I did something that uh, I, what I call, I, I came down with MSU syndrome, and that is make stuff up. Um, you know, you, you, th you know, you can take stuff and replace it with the appropriate four letter word. Uh, but the whole idea is I made assumptions. I said, oh, I can go be a high school math teacher. I've taught in 40 different countries. I'm an engineer. There's a shortage of math, math teachers. Of course they want me. And the answer is no, they didn't. They don't want any guys over 40. We don't do what we're told. And they want nice, compliant people. So when I went through my local certification program at my local community college, they wouldn't, the school districts wouldn't talk to any of us who were male and over 40. We, nobody would talk to us. They talked to everybody else, but they wouldn't talk to us. I made stuff up. So one of the key things is learning how to deal from facts. And so as I went along, as I, as I kind of went through these various transformations and I got involved with a job club in 2006, which I've been on their boards and Launchpad Job Club since uh, 2006, I watched a lot of my cohorts, baby boomers, get wiped out in these last two recessions. As it turns out, I, I wrote out both recessions at successful tech startups. Uh, I couldn't have been luckier. And so I've watched a lot of my friends who are, their lives have been disrupted. And I got the idea behind career pivot at the depth of the great recession because going, okay, I'm sitting here once again. And who is dealing with the, the boomers? And the answer was nobody was because we were all going to go retire. And the answer is, about four out of five can't afford to retire. We don't have enough money. And as we start looking at it, and I said, okay, I've been in learning and development for much of my technology career. And the answer comes down to is, okay, how can I teach these people to, to reframe? It's reframing reality and start making decisions around who we really are, which, which means by the way, going back and discovering who we are again, because of all, you know, I worked for 30 plus years. I've been in this role at work that I quote play. And unfortunately for a lot of us, that's not who we are, but we convince we are, we convince ourselves we are. And then you start saying, okay, I got to do something different. It, it's, it's not unlike, they said, the problems, well, you, like you talked about, you left your family business and said, what do I do now? Okay, you got to go try stuff. But you got to, it's all about mitigating the risks, right? And, and be able to make successful pivots in ways in which that we can maintain our income and try new stuff 
don't make stuff up. Don't make assumptions. Oh, of course they're going to want me. Well, no, they don't. And, and be able to essentially filter through the BS. And, and realizing that times people are going to tell you BS. And, and be able to kind of filter through that. But the big thing is you're not going to do it alone. You're going to do it. You're going to, you're going to go get some help. And there are lots of different ways that can be done. So I started, I actually launched the brand in Career Pivot in 2012. I left my last corporate gig in early 2011. And, and I've been building this business up for five years. So it's, 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 again, I'm on a marathon. I'm not on a sprint. I think that was one of the big things that I had to realize when I started up this podcast that it wasn't a sprint <laughs> and it, it was definitely a marathon. Um, and you know, just so you know, and everybody that's listening, it took me, uh, I think about, uh, about four years to figure out that I was ready to move on from the company. So it, it didn't happen overnight. It was very calculated, even though in the end it was like, I didn't have enough planned, like like many of the babies, I didn't have enough money in the bank to just retire, um, but not but like the plan as far as planning goes. Um, so it you know it it was it was calculated, but it was still uh, gutsy at the same time because I didn't have everything figured out. Well, it's I, I once a month I interview someone who's made a late career pivot, and. One of my episodes was on my buddy, Vicki McCullough, who in her late fit, mid fifties got laid off for the God umpteenth time. Uh, I think the fourth or fifth time in six or seven years, all due to acquisitions. Hmm. And she decided I'm going to go out on my own. And she didn't wait to figure out her target market. She just says, I'm going to do, I've done freelance marketing before. I'm going to do freelance small business marketing again. And she didn't wait to figure out her target market, which, by the way, is small service businesses. So architects, engineers, lawyers. And if you wait to figure it all out, you'll never start. <laughs> so it's, in fact, um, I claim a lot of when we make these changes, it usually occurs in, in three different ways. One you're pushed over a cliff and you just go, ah. the second is you look over the cliff and you go, okay, you take a step back, you know, say your prayers and then go Geronimo. At least you know what's going down below. Your third choice is you look over the cliff, you go back and get a parachute and you plan it. Now, the reality is for the eight episodes I've done with people who have made late career pivots, the reality is none of them has had for none of them. The reality was it didn't turn out as they expected. You have to be willing to move with the market, with what things are, uh, where the demand is. You have to listen and you can't be so rigid that you say, I'm going to do this and this is the only thing I'm going to do and I'm going to make it work. And the answer is, it's kind of like right now. I've, I've developed curriculum in 40 different countries. And I can tell you, every time I've done something in a different country, no matter who I thought the audience is, I was never right. It's always different. 
And it's learning to be able to say, okay, I think it's this. I'm going to go after it. And then you're going to listen. And if you're not willing to listen, and obviously you have a successful podcast here, you're listening, right? Because it's everything from, okay, I got one episode. There are a ton of downloads. I got another episode. Well, geez, nobody listened to that one. Okay, you learn something. In every from every one of these things, you've got to be able to listen and adapt, and that's the key. If if you're not if you're not willing to do that, things never are going to turn out the way you expect. Yeah, no, I I would I would totally agree. Uh, you know, starting. Uh, you know, I didn't have I didn't have a podcast before <laughs> before I started this one. Uh, I barely even listened to podcasts before before doing this and uh it's it's incredible um you know what can happen when you when you just get started but the thing for me was and i think what what finally did it as far as like okay i've been contemplating for four whole years what i'm going to do um was like i know that if i don't push it to the if i don't just jump out then it's never going to to really happen and that's what had to happen in order for me to to get it to get it rolling. Um, but you know, and figuring it out as I you know went along as far as like what worked, what didn't work, and what um, you know to 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 be able to do or, or get to where I'm at now, three years later, I had to develop seven different income streams to yep. to, to, to just get to, to the floating point of like, hey, I'm not like living month to month and I'm not like drowning um, in debt and I'm not losing the house. And like, that's not like, Oh, look, we're getting a new house or Hey, we're getting this or we're getting that. Like that was just to maintain like what yep. I got. And that, that's really all I wanted out of life is like, let's maintain what we got right now. We'll worry about well, tomorrow and, and what, what's to come later. Well, you make an interesting point. One of the, the, the key, I says, I, like I said, I was raised to be an employee. I was used to getting – when I worked for IBM for the longest time, I got a check every Monday morning. Every week for years I got a paycheck. And then suddenly you go out on your own and it's not about the paycheck. It's about cash flow. And, and you know, I joke the fact that when I left my last corporate gig and I was in my mid, mid to late 40s and I – we had plenty of money. We were, we were doing fine. Actually, I was in my mid fifties, and but that still didn't stop me from waking up at four in the morning, going, "I don't have a paycheck." <laughs> and I'm, as I said, I'm a recovery engineer. I'm very logical, and I discounted the emotions, and and that you you know you you have to allow yourself to, you know, prepare yourself, uh, and that's and by the way, that's. In fact, I've been reading several things in the press here. It's one of the problems we are having in our current economy is we have very little security in our employment. And so, therefore, that causes people a lot of anxiety. But in the middle class, um, am I going to have a job next year? And, in fact, I wrote a blog post a couple of weeks ago on um, – create opportunities and stop reacting to opportunities because I was raised to react. Someone's going to come along and offer you a job. If you sit, you keep your nose clean, you go work for the good employer. They're going to take care of you. 
Well, I wasn't raised to create, to go create those opportunities. And unfortunately now that's what not just, not just millennials, everybody needs to do is go make sure and create your own opportunities. And there, there are two ways to look at that. Number one, you could decide I'm going to go do something and I'm going to go create something or two, I am going to put myself in a position when an opportunity appears, they're going to come for me because I know all the right people. I know the company where I want to go work next and I know all the people there. I'll use the example, my second startup, I got the job there because someone picked up the phone and called me and says, Hey, we're looking, we're looking for someone to build a training program. And they came, they knew me from my first startup. They called me rather than, than me out there looking for the job. And it's, it's about being proactive. It's like right now I train my clients to say, okay, you take a new job for the first six months, you work your butt off. At the end of six months, you, 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 you go back and look back on the, that last six months and you, you, you set your goals for the next six months and, and you set those goals at one year, you go do the same thing. And oh, by the way, you update your resume in your LinkedIn profile at a year and a half. You go through the same process again, except now you start working your target list again. And you start looking for your next job. And I've had people say, well, what about loyalty? And I say, screw loyalty. Companies aren't loyal to you. And it doesn't mean you're going to leave, but you're preparing to, to change jobs every 18 months. doesn't mean you will, but you're going through that process. But you're always prepared, right? And and the other thing to go along with that is, is if you um, – you, if you uh, not just to be prepared because you don't know what you know what's going to happen at the at the job, but the um, it's an open market now, right? It, it it's it, it the job like and I talk about this in my in my daily uh, business vlog. Like it, you're you know these businesses are competing, you know, with their benefits packages and everything. It's kind of come full circle because it was like you know, benefits were starting to go by the wayside, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, that's a, a hole that needs to be filled. So business, you know, smart businesses say, okay, let's figure out how we can incorporate more benefits to entice better employees. And then we pull those people in, you know, and, and, and it'll, it'll start to probably go back around at some point, you know, five, 10, 15 years where benefits will start to get chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And it'll start back up again where, oh, hey, look, we got benefits. You should come work for us. Well, the, the reality is, and, and right now what we have is largely is a skills mismatch. You know, we, hmm. um, you know, we have, we have all still in my generation, we still have a large number of long-term unemployed. And by the way, they don't have the, the, the latest skills and, uh, you know, it's in, in starting in the great recession, employers stopped training. So the, the classic example is the manufacturing company wants to bring in a robot to replace 20 employees, but then they can't find the, the guy to service the robot. <laughs> and they don't, wanna, they don't want to train that person because as soon as they train them, they'll go find another job. And it's a kind of a chicken and egg. Uh, I've been dealing with an I've, – I've, I've gotten calls from a lot of folks in their 60s, and they're going, my company doesn't train me anymore. I said, right, they don't. 
you don't have enough career runway for them to invest in. So who's going to invest in you? You. You are responsible. You are sp- responsible for, for staying up on what what is the next hot skill. What do you want to do? What's going to make you happy? Where is where's the value coming from? And and pay attention because stuff is changing way too fast. And and, it, you know, it's it's kind of like I wrote my one blog post on, you know, bots and bots and automation. Uh, use the example. If you go to the Washington Post and you read any of the sports stories or or uh, elections, those articles are all written by bots. Okay, so if if you if if you watched the other day the uh, the uh, Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers and winning the championship, and within ten minutes there was an article up on es on the ESPN app, that was probably written by a bot. It was not written by a human. Um, use an example in the medical profession with everything being digitized. You can write an app that will read X-rays and MRIs better than a physician will. Um, we're seeing it in the retail segment and not just in retail stores closing, but by the way, there are all those folks in the back office, uh, whether you work for Sears, JC Penney, Target, uh, there was an article that I, I, I quoted that, um, you know, the, the company that owns men's warehouse and Joseph E. Banks, they are very likely will go bankrupt this year. Really? Yes. I, I didn't see that. Well, it's changing how we buy clothes. And so uh, the the entire retail segment, by the way, the fight for 15, and yes, I am for $15 uh, minimum wage. Mm-hmm. But by the way, one of the things that's going to cause is you're going to be able to, in, like here locally, we got P. Terry's Hamburger Place. You're going to be able to order your hamburger from your smartphone. And there will be encouragement to walk up to a kiosk and eliminate humans. Well, there are, I mean, like I go to Wawa, I mean, you're from Jersey, so yeah, I mean, yeah. Wawa, we've been ordering from on screens for like 10 years, if not more, yes. probably longer than that. Um, and it's wonderful, but somebody's still making the food, at least for now. Yes. Um, you know, I, I'm all for automation and stuff like that. I'm also for saving jobs, but, uh, sustainable jobs, right? That's, yes. that's yep. the whole thing. Well, uh, one of, one of the key aspects of, we are going to continue to see manufacturing jobs go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll use the example. I live here in I live here in Austin, Texas. We're in the oil patch. When oil prices collapsed in 2014, the number of rigs declined by about 60 percent. We now have the same number of rigs working here in Texas as we did prior to the collapse of the oil price. By the way, there are no new jobs. The oil companies have completely automated. They've been financially incented to automate. Mm-hmm. Um, when oil was $110 a barrel, they could f- afford to throw humans out there and do a lot of work manually. They ain't doing that no more. So it's it's paying attention to that and 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 going, okay, is my job vulnerable? Can my can can my job be replaced? And just because you think you're, you're in a high skilled job, 
like a x-ray technician or a more, more importantly uh, a doctor radiologist even surgeons they're just yes. they do it by robots <laughs> that's right uh we're gonna see more and more well my wife believe it or not she's going in for a pill cam really yes she oh, she has probably awesome. has a she probably has a bleed in her intestine i mean that's not awesome that that right. that's no. terrible but, 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 the, but, what but the idea of a pill cam is amazing they're gonna put a she's gonna take a pill and going to wrap her with a bunch of sensors, and they're going to be able to watch the, the the thing go through her small intestines. What? 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 So, so I think the important question is, is 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 to ask yourself is like when, right? Like every every like probably almost every job is going to be cannibalized at some point. Hopefully, we can create new jobs in in the wake of. But um, in the meantime, but it's just like when, right? It's like the surgeons don't have to worry about it today, but it's do I have to worry about it in the next 10 years, 15, 25, maybe 25, 30, 50? Like, you know, it's just it, it's one of those things where it's like if you're going to school, that's, you know, you need to be looking at when if you're already in it. That, you know, when is a big question, too, because it's like, well, if I'm going to pivot, I need to look at it because maybe my job is only going to last another, you know, five or ten years. And, um, you know, I, I go like I come out of the trucking industry and and, and uh, I know a lot of truck drivers and, and stuff like that. So, you know, talking with them, I'm like, hey, you know, this this autumn, you know, automatic driving trucks like we're, we're like five years away from that. Now, not every company is going to have it overnight, but. 10 years i mean there's uh an, uh a, a company that's working the retrofit for like 1200 bucks they'll retrofit any truck with automated driving uh systems <laughs> seems like the only one that's going to have a job left at that point is the mechanic until they have robots that do that too but that yeah. that's probably a little further down the road but the, but the actual like driving you know you're talking 10 to 15 years so if you're at the the, the tail end of your driving career you probably don't have to worry about it but if you're like 30 and still a truck driver and, and not looking to do anything different, uh, I, I, I would be using that, that runway to figure it out. I would be looking at it every single year. We can, you know, it, it used to be, well, what do you want to be doing in five years? You have to understand, uh, the iPhone came out in 2007, 10 years ago. Yep. Right, we didn't. Ha- uh, admittedly, I had a I, I had a CrackBerry before that. Um, <laughs> and tre- but, you know, Palm was a thing, and the yeah. you know, stuff existed before on iPhone. But 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 yeah. the iPhone changed everything, and and it, and it's like wow. And and you know, I'll use the example back in two thousand seven, Cisco bought Flip. Flip mm, was an HD. Yeah. H was an HD camera inexpensive right it, cisco took it it killed the, the that division three years later because they couldn't predict that far out so it's not trying to predict five years out for your own career looking at it for this year to next year to the following year and just being vigilant and and the higher you are up in the food chain um you know, as far as the higher, the higher and higher level skills, we a lot of times think we are not vulnerable. Um, but you're wrong. 
And I mean, this goes back in the 1990s. I was dealing with the first beginning of distributed computing, which is what we have today. And the what was the hot skill changed about every two, three years. And what would happen is folks would get really skilled up and make big bucks. I remember guys making $100 an hour being power builder programmers. And you're probably going, power builder? That was one hot skill back in the mid-90s. By the way, it wasn't a hot skill two years later. <laughs> and you, you just simply can't plan. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's staying on top of where things are going. And more importantly, what do you want to do? I had this interesting conversation with a guy um, just gotten laid off from a pharmaceutical company in, in, in IT. And he had, um, he had built him up a set of websites over the last 10 years. And these were all SEO optimized and they, that they would garner traffic and then funnel them off to Amazon and other places for affiliate income. And he was making about twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, which allowed him to pay off his house early. And he's going, Mark, you could do the same thing. And started rattling off. I said, You know what? I can. I don't want to. I have no interest in building websites and getting them SEO optimized. And yes, I can do that. I have the skills to do it. No, I don't want to. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I When I uh, left my family's business, my dad tried so hard to get I don't know if he's, he's probably not listening, but I tried so, <laughs> he tried so hard to get me to, uh, to, to start up like a truck parts, uh, you know, online truck parts website. And he's like, oh, you could totally do it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good friends with the person who does that. And I'm like, all they do 90% of their time is sit in spreadsheets all day. And I was like, I, I'm not. I didn't leave this giant, like, $100 million company to go sit in spreadsheets. If I wanted to do sit in spreadsheets, I would have just stayed in that because I could have did that while I was there, and, and no thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's getting very aware of what motivates you, um, what, do you what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. um, I'll use the example. I claim most of us want two to three of six things when we go to work. We want either uh, what makes us feel valued. One is the mission. I find people who are in the nonprofit world or the military, if the mission is right, they don't care about anything else. Then there's the bonus check. Then there is the uh, public recognition. And the last three don't cost anything, which is the pat in the back from the boss, your team, or your client. Now, I can tell you my most important one is the pat in the back from my client. My worst jobs were my first job out of IBM, out, when I graduated and went to work for IBM, I worked on word processors. I never saw anyone use it. Barf. It was meaningless. This is pre-IBM PC. <laughs> and and, I, you know, and I, I realized I've been the most miserable when I had no client contact. Mm. Well, okay, I know that. And if I, you know, and, and by the way, I've done this several times where I've done things. Like I said, there I was at IBM sitting in a room with a coding pad, barf. <laughs> 20 years later, I went into IBM Global Services, the consulting arm, and I sat in a cube writing technical documentation, barf. So I made the same mistake twice, 20 years apart, and made myself miserable. 
So it's it's getting real self-aware when you make a change. If you are aware, what makes you happy? How, what makes you feel valued? What kind of boss do you want? What kind of team do you want? Um, how much, believe it or not, how much activity do you want? It's a lot more important than people think. Um, you know, things like decision making. Um, like I, I, I joke, you know, I don't want a boss. All I want is someone to tell me to take that hill and then leave me alone. And I can tell you that because my best boss ever was Teresa when I worked in the IBM briefing center. She was a, she was tremendous at hiring superstars and then leaving us alone. And when we got into trouble politically, she backed us to the hilt. For me, that's me, that was a great boss. I can now tell you that because I reflected back on, wow. And my, some of my worst bosses were people who told me what to do. Don't do that. <laughs> of course, I, now I got the worst boss. Now I have the worst boss ever, me. Yeah, I know, right? The the, the biggest critic, then the big, yeah. the hardest on yourself, and the why aren't you working now and later and tomorrow yeah, I try morning? And, <laughs> yeah, I try and fire myself every morning. You're fired. Well, you spe- can't do that. <laughs> well, speaking about making a change, how did your family take it uh, when you decided to uh, to make a change and well, and work for yourself? Well, I, I said I've made so many changes in the past that my my wife just has learned to say, uh, um, and I've made so many I've made so many changes successfully uh, that that wasn't a problem. Um, there's no question when you make these changes, yes, you need to have support. Um, I, I call it building a fan club and different people need different levels of a fan club, but you need that fan club to, to do nothing more than pick you up when you fall down. My first year of teaching high school math, I was teaching algebra one, algebra two. I would have not made it through my first year without my fan club. And by the way, what that was is every three weeks, I'd send out an email to about 100 people. And I was chronicling. I was essentially blogging. This is, you know, 2004. I was sending out an email, and that thing got forwarded all over the place. I I bet it got forwarded a thousand times every time. Because I end up with all these strange interactions uh, when I left teaching, I went on a contract gig for, for the state. And I remember Jim Bruno walking into the office and said, Mark, I finally, it's so great to finally meet you. And I said, huh? Oh, yeah. He had worked at a textbook publisher. And my emails were going to the entire department of the math textbook publisher, which was about 100 people. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I knew their boss. And she was on my email list. So it just, it went, it came back to me in all kinds of strange ways. Those people gave me the gumption to get through my first year of teaching. I would not have made it without those people. So, uh, so I, I see here that you, uh, you, you have a, an affinity. Well, I mean, not to see here, cause you also told me that you have an affinity for, uh, bicycling cause you, uh, you know, passionately yes. ran into a car, car <laughs> while passionately doing what you love. Um, so I, I, I was curious, cause you tell me a little bit more about like the bike, you know, what you've done as far as biking and like 
what you know sure. what what what's it what the, what does it do for you that like other hobbies can't well cycling number one i'm 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 tall and skinny i'm six foot four and about 180 pounds uh by the way when i was a senior in high school i was six foot four and 140 pounds with a huge head of red hair so i was not a chick magnet and um cycling is actually very social you, you know i was I, at that day when i had my accident i was out with my club and so it's a it's a very social sport it's made up of people of all shapes and sizes and you know i can i can use i can mechanically change my bike that i can keep up with most people uh, I have big, huge gears on it, uh, so I can climb hills. Or like the one time when I bought my bike after I had my bike accident, I bought a, I, I ride all Italiano, I ride uh, a Chota and a Bianchi, and and I was at my local bicycle shop, and the guy, my Jeremiah, asked me, he says, "Do you want a triple?" Which is putting really big gears so you can. Uh, and I said, yes. And a guy behind me looked at me and he says, yeah, my girlfriend has a triple. I said, yeah, but I'm better looking than your girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, it's, it's, I'll, I'm sorry. I will take advantage of every mechanical possibility <laughs> to make it easier. <laughs> and so, but I largely got into cycling for the social aspect. Most of my friendships, it's rather interesting. One of the things you'll discover when our son left to go to college, my social life disappeared because every, our entire social life was built around his activities. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. So it was, he, he played in club soccer and school soccer. He played in the band and everything was around his. So suddenly he went to college. By the way, I also lost track of seasons because I didn't know what time of year it was because I knew by his activities. <laughs> and suddenly he was gone. And it's like, okay. And that's when I got into cycling or right around the time that he was getting ready to leave. And so, um, and, and it's, I said, it's a, it's a, it's a sport that any, can, anybody can do at any age. And it's really gentle. I'm a former marathon runner and I can't run it anymore. But I can cycle. Yeah, I do the the halves and the fulls. You can't say it, but there's a bunch of medals like right there, okay. right here. Like, you can, well, I can move my camera, even though the the podcast yep. can't see it. There's a yep. whole bunch of mostly Disney medals, but uh, but yeah. So I know I I I, I understand. I understand well, where you're was, coming from with the social aspect of it. I was a 49 second quarter miler in high school. I made the New Jersey State finals in the quarter mile in 1974. Um, <laughs> But uh, but then again, I couldn't, you know, I got to Northwestern, couldn't make the mile relay team. And um, and so, you know, I ran marathons for for a few years and found I couldn't uh, I couldn't do that and stay healthy. Um, my body would break. And in cycling, I can cyclings are actually very gentle on your on your back and your body. Uh, if you have the right kind of bike, I have all steel at the Italiano bikes are all very, very good. <laughs> So I just want to remind everyone that they're listening to the Dreamers podcast. I'm Joe Pardo, and I'm having an amazing conversation with Mark Miller, who I hope's not running out of time. No, I'm fine. <laughs> okay, because I'm I was running out of time, but I I pushed my my meeting. Um, so so we're good. We're good. 
Um, Mark, what's been the biggest roadblock for you and how did you go about overcoming it? Oh, you know, probably my biggest roadblock was, um, is getting used to the ebbs and flows. Um, it, it's a real challenge. As I said, you know, my, my first few years in this business was, you know, the emotional piece. And then periodically you will have, you know, uh, you know, two years ago, November, I had a zero revenue month and I went, <gasps> and, and rather interesting this year, um, my sales pipeline completely dried up around a, right at the election. Normally December and January, people call me like crazy. It was crickets, total and complete crickets. Now it's coming back now, but everyone was frozen. And so it's suddenly it's like, okay, can I emotionally deal with it? And fortunately, I released my book in April. So what it gave me a time to do was to work on the book and get all the final and all the marketing plans in place and everything else. But it's, it's, it's the ups and downs that are very emotional. And it's, it's learning to stay grounded, knowing that things – I'm doing everything's right. Everything is going to turn out just fine. Um, but we're going to go through some strange undulations. And you got to be prepared for that. And that's been a, that, that's been a kind of a shock. If this had happened – Three years ago, I would have been going, oh, my God, let me have to shut the business down. And now I just said, okay, take a loan. Okay. I got, I got credit lines. Okay. We're just, and we're just going to wait it out. And, it, and May was good. June's looking like it's going to be a good month. And we're just going to – it's going to get back to normal. And the, the, the reality is, is I'm not totally in control. Right? Sorry. In fact, that's one of the things I have a hard time getting through to some clients is when they are looking for a job is you're not the one in control. In fact, I've got a, I've, oh, most of my clients are what I refer to as square pegs. They don't fit traditional roles. And in fact, I was just talking to my one client in Germany this morning um, who we are rebranding him into a digital transformation expert and he's out speaking and he's getting, he's getting to talk all over Europe. Now it's not bringing in job offers, but it's bringing in everything else. And, and it's just, it's just accelerated, but he doesn't see it because he's so deep in the weeds. And, that's sometimes really, really hard to realize you're not in control. So as I tell, as I tell my clientele, when you're not in control, do the things that where you do have control. When someone doesn't call you that you were expecting them to call you, then rather than going, oh, they don't like me, they don't, and make stuff up, well, go call them. Go reach out. That's do the things you can do. Focus on things that you control and the things you can control is your own actions. Rather than going, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Okay. Reach out, 
and focus on what you can do. As I like to remind people, people the, the hiring process is not something people wake up in the morning and like, man, I can't wait to go through that hiring process and go through all the paperwork <laughs> and do all that, all these interviews that I got to go through and all this stuff. Like even even people that are in HR, they they don't like it either. Like it's not a it's not a fun process, and especially if it's if it's the business owner that's the one that's doing all that stuff because he's doing that on top of everything else he's got or she's got going on that it's just another thing. Like it's more of a headache at that point. Then you're like, well, I got to do some kind of training. Maybe it's not to the level of like to make them an expert, but they got to, you know, get, get in and involved. Like it's a whole big thing. And you know, then they say like, Oh, I'll get back to you in a few days. Like, it, it could take a few more days because you don't know what, what's going on. Maybe they get sick or they, you know, emergencies pop up at work and other things take precedent. And, you you know, you're just go, hanging on for the ride as long as as long as you know that they know that you're there. That's the important well, part. Let me give you another way of looking at it. Hiring is like dating and marriage. <laughs> OK, I don't know who looks back on dating fondly. And I, mean, I did. I do. I, I sorry. I was uh, as I said. I wasn't a chick magnet. And... I wasn't either. But uh, <laughs> but but I I definitely enjoyed. It. And definitely so enjoyed it. You know, I I joke. Most often when we date, we put our best foot forward, and we just don't want to get rejected. And that's how a lot of times we look at and 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 it has to be two way. In other words, they have to like you, and you have to like them. And it's a painful, it's for many people, this is a painful process. And it's one of the reasons why very often um, people don't want to do it again. So I'll use the example back in 2006, seven, I did a survey for my job club. And one of the things, and we got, God, we got a good thousand responses. And one of the things we were discovering was semiconductor engineers were getting laid off about every three years. Because what had happened, the semiconductor industry, the cycles had gone from like 12, 14 years down to about four or five. By the way, they're down to about 18 months now. And and so what would happen is these guys and gals, but mostly guys, were getting laid off. And, and you tell them, I said, okay, guy, you need to be, after 18 months, you need to be looking for your next job. So who's a semiconductor engineer? They're nerds. They're geeks. They like sitting behind a screen. The last thing they want to do is go out and talk to somebody. And, and, but you're saying you need, you need to be always looking for that next job. And that's very uncomfortable for them. And that's, that's where the real challenge comes down to is, um, is putting yourself out there and just being aware of how can you network? How can you find that next gig and by the way i'll throw a little i have a little technique on on finding someone who can hire you and that's by looking for people who look taste and smell like you looking for people in your geography who have the same skill set have the job type you want have your kinds of background your education and you start searching for them and then you go where are they working those employers are the ones capable of hiring you doesn't mean they have a job right now but that's a way of building a target list, right? I'll use the example. I've got a 57-year-old client who is now remaking herself as a Ruby on Rails programmer. So what I had her do was, in her area, was do a search 
for Ruby on Rails programmers. And most of them, 95% of them were young guys. But she could look at the pictures and determine who was older. It's not a scientific method. But what she soon discovered was everybody who was older was working for government agencies and government contractors. Okay. Those are the places we're targeting. Right? It, let's, let's go target, you know, if she is a, is a company where every, everybody on the team is 25, are they going to hire this 57-year-old woman who, by the way, is in one hell of a shape and she's climbed Mount Bantu on her, on her bicycle, you know, the Tour de France. Um, but are they going to hire her? Probably not. I don't know because you know, diversity has become a thing too. Like as much as like oh, out with the old and with the new, and we you know older people they don't want to learn and all that stuff. Yes, I I would I would make an argument that I think that the 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 counter to that is the 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 increase in diversity and and the people wanting to make it more diverse. And I I would think like if I, I was I, somebody I, if I if I'm like twenty you know thirty because I am thirty and 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 I'm running this cut <laughs> like startup or whatever and I'm looking for a Ruby on Rails person and somebody comes to me that's fifty seven and it's like yeah I want to I want to do it and I can do it and I have the skill I'm like heck yeah let's do it like yeah the the answer is most of the time the answer is no it's like would you hire your grandmother um if she had the skills yeah yeah and and it's it said it's it's a challenge and cuz we have a bigger diversity in in the workforce today uh than we've ever had before age wise mm-hmm. and 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 we are changing the fact that um you know i've been through said several tech startups and it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur you know the barriers to entry have just collapsed and so yeah it's it's a real challenge but it's it's looking for you know those people who look like you and you are going to run into the least amount of discrimination by looking for people who are fair hiring Mm. and not every company is fair hiring. Mm. And, uh, and you know, I'll use the example I got, you know, I had a, uh, I had a former client who was 66. He was unemployed for two years. Uh, he is now working at Dell and he got a he got a call on a Thursday. No, sorry, he got a call on a Thursday from a friend saying, "Send me your resume." He had an interview the following Monday. He had an offer the following Thursday. Wow! It, it happened that fast. And I say he was sixty six at the time, and he'd wow. been unemployed for twenty two months. Jeez. And and so the point is that's a classic example where you're not in control. Absolutely, absolutely, Mark. Uh, I'm curious because uh, you haven't <laughs> mentioned much about it. What was your childhood dream growing up? My childhood dream. Wow. Uh, probably, uh, you know, I wanted to be the next uh, uh, Will Chamberlain. Uh, I was very skinny growing up. Um, I was always the tallest kid in my class. Uh, I was. You know, six four and six three as an eighth grader. Wow. Um, you know, Wait, how uh, tall are you? How tall are you? I'm six. Now? I'm six. I'm six four. Oh, okay. No, wow. I was I was six so three. You peaked at eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, I was six three and 125 pounds. Wow. Wow. As I said, at that point, walking and chewing gum was difficult. <laughs> uh but yeah, it's you know, I I grew up in the the day and age. I was a big New York Knicks fan. I grew up in New Jersey. 
Uh, exit nine in the Joyzy Turnpike. I'm at two. Uh, I tell you, you're. <laughs> let's see, two means you're way south, right? Way, way south. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. we're yeah. like we're like twenty miles from the Delaware Memorial. Okay, okay, yeah, we you can uh, see Philly from down the street here. No, I, 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 I was born in Bayside, Queens, and when I was a year and a half old, I grew. I, we moved to East Brunswick, New Jersey. <laughs> And I left it after I graduated in 1974, never to return. Well, I came back for the summers, but that's about it. <laughs> and my brother is still there. He still li- lives up around Wayne. Oh, okay, okay. So, so, uh, so since you're not Wilt Chamberlain, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? I, I, my question is: is what, why? Why did you want to be? Uh, in basketball, if you—I mean, you weren't involved in it, sports. It sounds like. Oh, I was. I was. Oh, you I were. was involved. I was involved in sports. I was. Uh, as I said, I you know, in, in starting in about middle school, I got into track. Um, I was an award-winning quarter miler all the way through high school and into middle oh, school. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot. Sorry. I was. I was fast. I was not coordinated. I was fast, but I loved to compete, and uh, and it's like anything else. It's. You know, at one of the things is what we want to do as kids. I always so, for example, one of the things I when I take people to figure out what their talents are is going back to their childhood and what did they do they couldn't get enough of. In my case, it was doing jigsaw puzzles. I was abs- I didn't do them a lot, but when I did, they were completely addictive. Now, by the way, I spent a lot of my technological career in networking, which is nothing more than pattern matching, which is what, which, which is what, um, jigsaw puzzles are. Now, by the way, that comes into what I do today is I can look at us. I, I use a very complex assessment called the Berkman assessment and other career professionals don't like it because it's so complex. I'm sorry. I, I see patterns. You know, I joke. I see dead people. Uh, I can read through that stuff. When I sit and listen to I put my clients through um, branding sessions and I have them just sit and listen and tell me your story. I can pick out a pattern that no one else will see. Or more importantly, you won't see. And that's my talent. Now, one of the things I've learned to do is build skills on that. So um, classic example I use for talents and skills is Larry Bird. Uh, Larry Bird was quoted as a winner is someone who understands what their God-given talents are, works like hell develops skills that turns them into an expert and into a winner, something like that. And I claim, if you remember, Larry Bird is, was not a great athlete. He was slow. He couldn't run. He couldn't jump. I claim his probably his innate talents were great vision and great hand dexterity, which he then turned himself into a great shooter and passer. In other words, he worked his butt off to take those talents and turn them into something else. And the challenge is we often forget what our talents are. Well, because we're too close to the situation to see it, and um, 
a lot of times, you know, it's, it's easy to be too close to a situation to see all that. And that's why it, ha- it helps to have uh, people on the outside in that fan club to, to tell you like, hey, this is what uh, this is what you're really good at. Sometimes it's hard to hear that, especially if it's from your mom, your mom or your dad. Right. Like I, you're always or I'm at least I am always like quicker to to take a compliment from somebody I have no interest in, like have no invested interest yes. in um because there's there's no reason to be nice unless you really want to be nice yes um, <laughs> so so for me it's the, it can be difficult but um but yeah no I, I i think that's that's really awesome that you you took the that skill i mean obviously you know working at ibm you got to be a smart cookie because they they uh they are some of the smartest cookies and they only want to be surrounded by smart other smart cookies so <laughs> the lesson is is be a cookie <laughs> and be and be sweet um and smart and uh so mark i'm curious uh with all that said what what do your dreams for the future look like going forward well, you know i joke the fact that i know i like helping people uh i also know that i don't want to you know i've been through two successful tech startups i don't ever want to work that hard again and two, I want control. So my goal is to never retire, is to work less at something I love. And that's what I'm doing. I want the control to work how much I want to work. And oh, by the way, where I want to work. Um, we've been experimenting. We just came back from Ecuador. We're looking at either moving to Mexico, Ecuador, Panama, um, and be able to Control, and be, I, I want control over what I do, and and I, I want to be able to do it from anywhere. It's that simple. Because I'm never going to retire. I'm not going to retire like my parents did. And not that I can't. I don't want to. Uh, no, that's, I totally identify with that. Um, and it, and obviously, if you're willing to move to Ecuador or one of those other cities, um, or, no it's countries, country, country. Sorry, um, South America. Yeah, yeah, South America in general. I mean, it's going to be a lot cheaper for you to to live there. So, uh, you know, retirement is probably much more uh, more plausible than living in the states at that point if you wanted it. But that's yes. it's amazing and awesome. And I congratulate you for making that that choice to say, no, I'm cool at working. Like, I just want to do what I want to do though on my terms. That's right. That's to have right. that and, vision and, and be able to step back and say, okay, I don't want to work for the man anymore. Yeah. You, you, you worked for the man on the block, uh, for, for many years at IBM. So, well, and all it's interesting. My last three of my last four jobs, my biggest problem was with my boss. Hmm. And particularly my last boss was an uneth- was an unethical SOB. Hmm. Uh, I was told to go hire the CEO's brother in the middle of the recession who was unqualified. And I said, no. And he was told, I don't have a choice. I said, yes, I do. I gave him the single f- finger salute. And I timed it to the day when I resigned, I got the biggest financial reward. <laughs> I timed it right to when the next stock option vested, when I got my bonus, I timed it to the day. One of the, one of the key things is no one can make you do anything. 
you always have choices. And understanding that you always have choices. And I had a choice. I could do what he wanted me to do. Or I had the choice was I wasn't willing to, to um, I wasn't willing to um, cross as I, and I wrote a blog post on this. I, I didn't, I didn't want to cross those ethical boundaries. And I had a lot of people saying, well, why are you so upset about it? It's just unethical. Nepotism. We're public. We were at that point. We're a public company. You can't. It may be legal. It's not. It's not right. You, you know, uh, well, one of the, one of the life changing concepts in my in my first book is uh, you know keep your options open and always you know know that there's more options than what you probably are seeing at the moment. Because there's always a way. Something you just yep. got to keep digging to find it. Um, uh, Mark, before we we wrap up and and I ask you for what uh, some final thoughts that you have, uh, how can people connect with you and get your book and and reach out? Sure, you can reach me. Go to careerpivot.com, and you will find on the right column my latest book, which is Repurpose Your Career: A Practical Guide for the Second Half of Life. And if you that's also available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and other fine online retailers. You will also find personal branding for baby boomers on Amazon and all the other appropriate places. And, uh, and I encourage everyone to listen to my podcast, which is repurpose your career. And you can reach me at Mark. It's M A R C. My mama knew how to spell at careerpivot.com. <laughs> and, and Oh, by the way, on my website at the top, there's a phone number. You can call me. Now, I don't usually it's my Google voice number. Usually it goes to, goes to voicemail and just simply leave a message and leave me with an email address and we'll arrange a time to talk. Well, I love that you have a phone number on top. I got my phone number on the top, but it's my actual <laughs> ah. <laughs> phone number, not my uh, not my Google voice number, which I do have a Google voice number, which might want to change, but eh, whatever. It hasn't hurt. It hasn't hurt me yet. I haven't hit hit okay. a brick wall yet, or I haven't hit the proverbial uh, Toyota Camry yet. So, or is it Camry? Okay. Was it a Camry? No, no, Corolla. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, it's been such a pleasure. Is there any last thoughts you'd like to share before yeah, we wrap the, up? The, the thing is, when you're ready to make a change, it's know thyself. Don't make an assumption. Don't make assumptions. I.e. MSU and three, um, you're not going to do it alone. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time today to come on the dreamers podcast. It's been absolutely fun. I, I, I'm so glad that you, uh, you reached out to, to come on and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I always like talking to people. <laughs> Um, and if you've enjoyed this interview uh, with Mark Miller, please, you don't need to leave a review. You don't need to leave a comment. You don't, I, you know, you can rate it on iTunes or whatever, but just tell somebody. Just tell somebody else. That's all that I ask, right? Share share the love um, with, with somebody that you know that could get more out of the Dreamers podcast. And uh, I'd really would appreciate it. So, again, I'd like to thank Mark Miller for taking the time today to be on the Dreamers podcast. And uh, I will see you all next week. And Mark, I'd love to have you on again in like a year to follow up. Cool. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dreamers Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dreamers Podcast. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dreamers Podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Dreamers Podcast, please send an email to j at jpar.co. This podcast is copyright 2014 by jpar.co.